0: So this morning, we're going to continue in this series called No Turning Back. And and what we're looking at is what do we need to do in our lives in order to completely, passionately, with 100% of what's in us, follow God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength that we wouldn't turn back. And we're looking at different things we need to do. We need to passionately pursue his presence every day. We need to learn to dig wells where we're refreshed, where we go deep. We need to, as we talked on last week, build altars where we remember what God has done so it encourages us for what he will do. And this morning, we're going to talk about the importance of striking the ground. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to uh, look at a passage in Philippians, and then we're going to read two rather lengthy passages later on uh, in, in the book of 2 Kings. So you can find those in your Bible now. If you don't have your Bibles with you, we'll have the verses up on the screen. But in Philippians, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and he says, forgetting what lies behind... And straining forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, what he's saying is, we have to get to the point in our walk, in our following, in our pursuit of Jesus, that we strain forward. Our eyes are fixed. Yes, there's things that happened. Yes, there's things in the past. Yes, there's successes. Yes, there's failures. Yes, there's hardships. Yes, there's all this stuff back here, but stop living back here and step forward and pursue what I have. See, what I've learned is this. God calls us out of our past so that we can pursue our purpose. He calls us out of our past to pursue our purpose. He says, I know where you were. I know what you've done. I know what you've experienced, but I have a plan and a purpose for your life. In other words, you and I, you cannot, we cannot pursue your calling if you keep turning back to your past. You cannot pursue your calling if you keep turning back to your past. I have to press on for the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. I can't keep looking back, but this happened. They said this. They did this. I did this. Remember when? Remember how? Yes, God knows all that stuff. And he says, stop looking back. I have called you with a plan and a purpose. Strain forward, look towards it. Stop turning back. And in order to learn, to help us, to position us, to stop turning back, there's two things we're gonna learn this morning that we need to do. One is we need to strike the water. Everyone say, strike the water. water. And then we need to strike the ground. Everyone say, strike the ground. Okay. We need to strike the water and we need to strike the ground because what that does is it allows us to move from where we were to what God's calling us to do. And it positions us to believe for what God has next, for the victory that he has, for the promises that he's made. It allows us to press forward, to strain for them, to strive for them without turning back. So to look at these two things, striking the water and striking the ground, we're going to look at the life of a man named Elisha. So we're going to look at a story from the very beginning of his ministry, and then we're going to look at a story from the very end of his life. So we're going to start in Second Kings chapter 2, and then there, otherwise, let's read. I'm, to, I'm not going to read it in, in its entirety, but I'm going to skip a little bit, but we're going to read a rather, a rather lengthy passage here. It says, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. So let me just stop there. So Elijah at this point was the prophet. There were many prophets in Israel. There was a whole um, uh, school of prophecy. But Elijah was the head prophet. He was the man of God. Everybody knew it, but God spoke. The Bible says God doesn't do anything unless he reveals it to the prophets. So God had spoke, his spirit had moved. The prophets understood that God was about to do something and it was going to happen then, that day, really soon in that moment in history. And what it was, was Elijah was going to go. He was leaving. God was going to take him. And Elisha had been uh, at this point, Elijah's protege he was called by Elijah. He was trained by him. He was discipled by him. And so they're walking and they're on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. Everyone say, "Stay stay here. Okay. Hold on to that. We're going to see this over and over and over. Stay here. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went on their way and then they had this interaction with some of the prophets and the prophets like, hey, Elisha, do you know that today Elijah's going? And he says, yeah, I know. I don't want to talk about it. Be quiet. And they go on their way. And then Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And they walked further and they talked to some more prophets and they said, don't you know, today's the day? And Elisha says, I know be quiet. And here's the Pastor Justin paraphrase. Shut up. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. I know what he's calling me to, but I know what's happening. I know what God has revealed, but I don't want to be distracted by it. God is in this moment and I don't want to miss it. And then Elijah said to him, so they go on their way. And Elijah said to him, please stay here. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And they were standing by the Jordan. And Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up. And he struck the water. Everyone say, strike the water. water. And the water was parted. And the two of them crossed by dry ground. And Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit upon me. He replied, you have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. Otherwise it shall not be so. And behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven and Elisha saw it. Remember, Elijah said, if you see me when I'm taken, not if you see the chariots, not if you see the fire, not if you see the horses, not even if you see the whirlwind, if you see me focus on this. And it says, Elijah saw it. And he cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And he saw him no more. And Elisha took up the cloak of Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. And he took the cloak of Elijah and he struck the water saying, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he struck the water, the water was parted. And Elisha went over. So in this moment, on this day, all this stuff is happening. And Elisha is kind of torn. I mean, in one sense, this man that called him, that mentored him, that discipled him, for 13 years... Elisha went everywhere with Elijah. For 13 years, Elijah was preparing him to carry his mantle, to fill his shoes, to take his role. So he's torn. He's sad. This man that I love, I'm never going to walk with him again. I'm never going to minister with him again. And yet there's a part of him that's also excited. This is a new day, a new ministry. I'm going to step into a new level of anointing. Something exciting is happening but he's torn. It's this intersection. I'm confused. I know what it was, but I don't know what's going to be. I know what God's calling me to, but I've never walked in that before. I don't want to look back. I want to forget what lies behind. I want to press on. I want to strain for what's ahead of me, but I'm not sure how it's all going to work. He's a bit confused. He's a bit bewildered. He's a bit emotional. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do in this moment. I know it's pregnant with implication, See, what I've learned is this, the most incredible moments come at the most intense intersections. The most incredible things, those moments when God wants to do something amazing are normally the moments when you're saying, but I don't know how, I don't know what, I know where I've been, but I don't know what it's going to look like. So if you're in that moment right now, if you're in that intense intersection of life, where you're a bit confused, I know who I was, but I don't know exactly who I'm going to be. I know, I know what I've done, and I know God's calling me to something new, but I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. I've spent my whole 13 years with this man, and I'm never going to see him again. And it's going to be different. If you're in that moment of intense, uh, that intense intersection in life, just realize God may be setting you up for something amazing. And so here's Elijah and he looks at Elisha and says, now I'm about to go. We've got 13 years in in the past, but we've got 13 minutes now. We've just got moments left. Tell me what it is that you want. And Elisha doesn't hesitate. He says, I want a double portion. I want something big. I want something weighty. I want something life-changing. I want something impactful. I want something that is going to allow me to make a huge difference with my life. And he asks for something big here's what's astonishing to me some of us have walked with the lord a lot longer than 13 years and god whispers in our ear through his spirit tell me what it is that you want and what we want is this But we say what if it's too much what if god doesn't give it to me what if i'm being presumptuous what if i'm being arrogant and instead of asking god for something big we say well how about this instead i i, I don't I don't want this. I I mean, I want this, but I'm not going to say I want this. So how about this instead? And at some point, we have to be willing to say, I want everything that God has for me. We have to have the tenacity of Elisha. Three times, Elijah says, hey, stay here. Don't come with me. Leave me. Three times, Elisha says, not on your life. Not today. Listen, there's other times in 13 years, Elijah told Elisha, hey, bub, stay here. I'm going to go do something. I'll be back. He said, fine, no problem. He said, today's different. This is a moment. This is an intense intersection. And I'm not leaving you. I want to be ready for when the moment strikes. And so often we just go, well, whatever. I don't know. I don't know what I want to ask. At some point, we have to be willing to ask. Now, when he asks, he says, I want a double portion. Elijah says, you've asked for a hard thing, a difficult thing. It could mean that what he was asking was a difficult thing to give a difficult thing to attain. I don't know if I can give that to you. You, You're asking for something, but it could also mean that what you're asking for is going to be hard, not to give it, but for you to carry it. See, the bigger the blessing, the heavier the burden, the greater the blessing, the heavier the burden. It's easy. It's free to dream. It's easy to ask, but when the dream comes true, when the reward is given, when God pours the blessing on you, now you've got to carry it. And some of you have asked God for some big things, but you're not necessarily ready for the burden that goes with it. So you say, God, I'm going to live for you, but not everybody's going to be happy that you're living for God. You say, I want to reach people for you, but not everybody that you want to reach wants to be reached. You say, I want to see people's lives change," but not everybody wants to change their life. And some people are going to be mad at you simply because you're living for God. They're going to be offended because you're living a life of holiness. They're going to say, why are you judging me? You say, I didn't judge you at all. I didn't even say anything. But simply by the fact that you're living for God, you're going to face opposition. It's why Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He said that those who are perishing, to those who are perishing, we are the dreadful smell of death and doom. You say, God, I want to do something great for you. I want to do something impactful for you. I want to do something powerful for you. And God says, great, but then you're going to have to face opposition. You're going to have to face persecution. You're going to have to face powerful forces that are going to array against you. And you have to be willing to say, not only will I stand, but I will press forward. I will not turn back. I'll be like Elisha. Nothing will deter me. Nothing will entice me. Nothing will convince me to say I've gone far enough. And so Elisha says, I want a double portion. He sees Elijah taken up. And there, falling, I I picture this in my mind, falling from the sky, from the whirlwind, is Elijah's mantle. And there it falls. And so he picks it up and he rolls it up. And he says, All right, Elijah's gone. This is all that's left. And he finds himself standing there on the banks of the Jordan, where just a little while before, on the other side, he stood with Elijah, now he stands alone. And he knows nothing is ever going to be the same. Everything is different. I'm different. I'll never walk with him again. I'll never see him minister again. And he stands there. See, the, the Jordan River, it's a moment of transition The Jordan River throughout the scriptures represents transition. Joshua takes the people of Israel. Moses led them out of Egypt. And for 40 years, they're not a nation because they don't have a land. They have a land that's promised, but they're not in the land. So they're just a collection of people. But Moses dies. Elijah or Joshua takes the the, the leadership realm. He takes the baton of leadership and standing at the Jordan River. He says, we're going to cross over. And they transition from being a collection of people to being a nation and possessing the land. And here's Jesus. Comes up out of the waters of baptism in the Jordan River. Up to that point, he was a carpenter. After that point, he starts his ministry. He's recognized as Messiah, a teacher, a rabbi, a leader. God incarnate. Because when he comes up out of the water, he was already God's son, but God speaks. And he says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And it was a moment of transition. He's no longer a carpenter. He's no longer the carpenter's son. He is now Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. He was always those things, but now it's seen. And he goes on and he changes the course of human history. And here's Elijah standing on the banks of the Jordan in this moment of transition and he's got Elijah's mantle he's got it rolled up and he's holding it in his hand and he lifts it over his head and he says these words where now is the Lord the God of Elijah what does that mean I'll tell you what it means dear God please make this work God, I've seen Elijah do this. Am I walking in the same anointing? I've seen Elijah do miracles. Do I have that double portion? I've seen, God, you move in supernatural ways, but is it going to work for me? Am I the man that you've called me to be? We all have those moments, don't we? Maybe you've had this experience or God has called you to something. Maybe you've seen it, a dream, a vision, just something in your mind. Maybe you saw somebody else moving in in a supernatural way, operating the gifts of the spirit, a word of prophecy, miracles, a word of knowledge, whatever it is. And you're inspired by it. And you say, I want that. And then you step out in faith and you say, oh dear God, make this work. Oh, please God, in this moment, this better work because this person needs a word. They need encouragement. I need wisdom. My kids are watching. My friends are desperate. God, I don't know if this is going to work. I think it's going to work. I believe it's going to work. I know you've called me to this, but I've never seen it happen. I mean, I saw it happen for them, but I've never seen it happen for me. Dear God, are you here now with me? See, at the best, everybody says, you've got to have faith without doubting. You do. We do need to have faith without doubting. But I have found very few times when I'm just 100% convinced Best case, I'm about 95%. Most of the time it's 60, 70, 80, 85%. And as I stand there holding that mantle, about to declare something, about to speak of a vision I've seen, about to pray prophetically over somebody in that moment, I say, God, I hope this makes sense. Oh dear God, I'm going to sound like an idiot. Maybe I'm the only one, but I can tell you from me, God has given me this picture. It's 11 years I've been here at Hickory Ridge, and it's been a great 11 years. But I'm telling you, I can see what's about to happen in my mind. I could see it so clear. I see this track of land right here on the highway. And I see us building a community center. And I see us building on that track of land multi-family housing units. And I see us building on that land a new worship center, a new church and I see us reaching not just hundreds of people, but thousands of people. And even as I say that, I'm excited. And part of me says, oh, dear God, dear God, part the waters because I can't make it happen. I can't do it. God, don't leave me here. Elijah is, Elisha is saying, God, don't leave me here in this moment of transition. Elijah's gone. I've left the past. I can't go back. I have to stretch forward. I have to press on. God, be here in this moment. And he strikes the water. And some of us need to strike the water because when you strike the water, God says, Now see how faithful I am. When you pursue me, when you're persistent in your faith, when you're dogged in your determination, when you don't turn back, I will respond in amazing ways. And when he strikes the water, the water parts. And from that moment on, Elisha goes on to do amazing miracles. I can't list them all, but one of them, there's a spring of water and he can't drink the water because it was contaminated. He throws salt in the water and the water is purified. Another time he's walking through the uh, a valley and it's a desert and there's no water and he commands rain to come and the valley is filled with water. And then another time he meets his widow and she's poor and destitute and she's about to die and she's running out of oil and he speaks a word and her supply of oil just multiplies and she never runs out of water. And another time there's this woman and she's infertile and she's wrestling infertility and she wanted a child and she couldn't have one. And he speaks a word and he says, I'm going to come back to you and you'll be holding a child and he comes back and she is and then years later that same child that he said you'd have dies and this woman says my life's worse now why did I even have to have this child and so Elisha stops and he raises that child from the dead and then there's this another time some bloke borrows an axe and the axe falls in the the axe head falls in the in the river and so Elisha speaks a word and a piece of iron floats to the surface and on and on and on and on and on the miracles go but it all hung on that moment when he stood on the bank of the Jordan and he said dear God make this work why because at that moment when he struck the water what does it say it says Elisha went over he said I finally settled in my heart I know where I was and I know what God's called me to I know where I'm going see at that moment you can turn back or you can strike the water that's your choice You can say, I I don't want to do this. What if I fall on my face? What if I make a fool of myself? I'm not going to strike the water. Because you know, at that moment when Elisha stood there on the other side of the river, there were 50 prophets waiting. And if it didn't happen, what would they say? And he says, I don't care. And so when he struck the water, it says he went over. See, striking the water settled once and for all. I know where God is calling me and I know who he's called me to be. Strike the water so you can become the person God is calling you to be. And for some of you, that is this moment where you strike the water, you strike the water, you strike the water, and you say, I know where I was, I know who I was, I know what I've done, I know what they've said, I know how I behaved, but that doesn't matter anymore. I'm going to step in, I'm going to pursue, I'm going to strain for the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus. You can't pursue God's purpose for your life if you keep looking back. So at some point, you have to strike the water and step over and see what God has on the other side. So that's the first thing you need to do. If you don't want to turn back, some of you need to strike the water. But then at the end of Elisha's life, we see this second encounter. And it's not about striking the water. It's about striking the ground. Everyone say, strike the ground. All right. So if you have your Bibles, 2 Kings chapter 13, Elisha was suffering from the illness from which he died. This is the last thing we see Elisha doing. Joash, king of Israel, went to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried. Doesn't this sound familiar? The chariots and the horsemen of Israel. It's bookends, how he started his ministry and how he ends his life. Elisha said, go get a bow and some arrows. And he did. Take the bow in your hands, he said. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. So this is a prophetic moment. He's putting his hands on, this is the man of God. This is a prophet. He's saying something, this is something supernatural here. I am imparting something into this moment. Now open the window to the east, he said. So they opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot and then Elisha declared, that is the Lord's arrow of victory, the victory arrow over Aram. Then he said, now take the arrows, and the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. Everyone say, strike the ground. All right? we need to strike the ground. He struck the ground three times. And he stopped, and the man of God was angry and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have had complete victory and totally defeated Aaron. but now you will defeat it only three times. So this is the last thing we see Elisha doing. He's speaking prophetically into the life of a king of Israel who was not a good king. He was a wicked king. And yet he knows at this moment, I can impart something great in my last moments. So he tells him, shoot an arrow. And he shoots an arrow. Then he says, strike the ground. And he strikes the ground and he's angry. And if you're like me for the longest time, I read this passage and go, why is he angry? I don't get it. I mean, he said, strike the ground. And he struck the ground. He did what he told him. I mean he didn't tell him how many times to strike it. He didn't say straight to the ground. If you wanted me to strike it eight times, I'd have strike it eight times. You just said straight to the ground, I did it. I did it three times. What's the problem? Why are you getting up in my business? Why are you all angry? But there's a reason. So let me give you some historical understanding. At that time in that culture, a normal tradition was that if a nation was about to go into battle, into war against another nation, someone, normally the king or or the general, would take a bow and shoot an arrow in the direction of that nation or a spear. They take a spear and throw that spear in the direction of the person, the nation that they were going into battle with. And what that represented was victory that we're going to go in and we're going to win. We're going to defeat the enemy. We're going to rout them. We are going to completely destroy them. So the king was familiar with this tradition, but Elisha says, I know what you think this means, but it means more. I know you're familiar with this, but you don't understand the depth of it. I know you've read this verse before, but you've never understood it this way. And so what he's saying is you have to look beyond what you think you know. He says, this isn't just, we're going to beat them. This is God saying, I am going to be in this battle and I am going to win the battle for you. This isn't your battle to fight. I will bring the victory. And so he explains all this. Then he says, now strike the ground. And the king strikes the ground three times. Now it's interesting When it says strike the ground, there's two ways you can read that passage in the original language. One is to literally take the arrows and hit the ground with them. The other is you could take the arrows, you could take the bow, and you can shoot the arrows in the same direction as the first one you shot so that they strike the ground in the same place. But in either case, what it represented, the king knew it represented God's victory. And so Elisha is mad because the king stops and the king knew what it meant. And so he says, listen, remember Elisha was that tenacious guy. You tell me to stay. I'm not staying. I want everything that God has for me. I'm not going to be content with Elisha says, I want everything. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to watch you until I see you taken from me. And he says, why would you settle for three? See what the king knew and what Elisha knew was at that time, you never went into battle, beat an enemy once and the war was done. You didn't even defeat him two or three times and the war was done. Here's a passage in the scripture says it was the time of the year when the kings amassed for war. What does that mean? It means when you fought an enemy about Five or six or seven times you would amass at the same time of year and go into battle. And you had to defeat them, not once, not twice, not three times. You had to defeat them five, six, seven, eight times. It was like a best of seven series. I mean, you had to, you had to, and then and only then was the battle complete. Did you annihilate them where they said, we're not fighting you anymore. We're so discouraged. We're so defeated. We're so deflated. We'll sign a treaty. We'll come under your rule. But the war is over. And Elisha says, why would you settle for a partial victory when you could have had a supernatural victory? You could have won completely. And he was incest. Now, could it be that one of the reasons the king was content to kind of half-heartedly strike the ground? Because he knew each time I struck the ground, each time I shot an arrow, yes, it represented victory, but I only get the victory if I fight the battle. So it didn't just represent seven, eight victories. It represented seven or eight battles that I had to fight. Maybe he was weary of fighting the battles. And so many of us get to that point where we're just tired. And God asks us to do something. And we say, okay, I'll serve. I'll do what you want. I'll say that thing. But we're just kind of barely, sort of, doing what God asks. We're not in it. We're not invested. God, I'll serve when it's convenient. God, I'll do that. But I'm just kind of going through the motions. Yes, I'll give. But I'm not going to sacrifice. I'm not going to tithe. I'm not going to give my best. Yes, I'm raising my children, but I'm worn out and I'm tired of the battles. God, I'm trying to do what you've asked me to do, but I'm weary and I'm overwhelmed. And we're tired of the battles. See, sometimes we stop striking the ground because we're tired of fighting the battles. But you have to ask yourself, how much victory do I want? How much blessing do I want to walk in? How much difference do I want to make? How much impact do I want to have? Some of us are just trying to survive. I just want to get by. I just want to get through. I don't want to fight. I don't want to press in. So I'll go through the motions, but here's the thing. God didn't save you so that you could survive in this world. God saved you so that you could change it. God didn't save you so that you could survive in this world. God saved you so that you could change it. God didn't save you to survive in this world. He saved you so you could change it. What kind of difference do you want to make? What kind of impact do you want to have? What kind of legacy do you want to leave? This? Partial victory? I'm okay. I got five kids. One of them serves the Lord. Okay. God's maybe given me 80 years of life. If I serve him with two, it's better than most people. God's blessed me with a business that's really successful. I give him $200 a month, it's more than other people. What kind of purpose do you want to have? What kind of life do you want to live? At some point, you have to say, I'm going to strike the ground. I'm going to strike the ground. I'm going to strike the ground. I know you're worried I'm going to make a hole in this stage, but don't you worry. I'm not strong enough to go through three quarter inch plywood. What kind of life do you want to have? What kind of difference do you want to make? What kind of future do you want to see? What kind of legacy do you want to leave? I'm going to strike the ground. 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 So you have to keep striking and striking and striking because victory is coming in Jesus' name. Strike the ground over and over and over and over because victory is coming. I know you're tired. I know the war is weary. I know you think this is never going to end but I'm telling you supernatural victory is coming if you'll just strike the ground and not stop. I know you think you have nothing to offer but if you'll keep striking the the ground God has promised you. There's something great growing inside of you. You need to keep striking the ground and striking the ground and striking the ground. Don't you stop because you think I'm asking God for something that's bigger than he can give me. Don't stop striking the ground because you think people are going to call me crazy. Don't stop striking the ground. Keep going. Keep loving. Keep forgiving. Keep praying. Keep dreaming. Keep striking the ground. I know people are going to say you're crazy. I know you're going to say they don't think it makes sense, but keep striking the ground. Keep striking the ground. Keep striking the ground. Strike the ground when you're surrounded by enemies. Strike the ground when you think victory is impossible. Strike the ground when the news is bad. Strike the ground when your bills are piling up. Just keep striking, keep striking, keep striking the ground. Somebody's got to strike the ground. Yes, your marriage is messed up. Yes, your finances are messed up. Yes, your thoughts are messed up. Yes, your life is mixed up. Keep striking the ground. Some of you got to fall to your knees and just say, I'm going to keep striking the ground. I'm going to keep striking the ground. I'm going to keep striking the ground, but it doesn't make sense. I don't see a way out. Just strike the ground. One of the things I have taught myself to do, and you might see me up here sometimes when I'm at the altar, when I'm at a home and I pray and I get on my knees, I will pray, cry out my heart to God. And before I'm done, I'll just punch the ground. God, make it happen. 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 Some of you have to strike the ground. Don't stop striking the ground. Just keep striking. Listen to all the teenagers here. To all the single adults. Don't stop striking the ground for purity in your life. Keep striking the ground. When you pray, when you worship, don't stop striking the ground until the heavens open to every parent here. Don't stop striking the ground for your kids. Don't stop striking the ground for your children, but they're going the opposite way. I don't see a way home. Don't stop striking the ground because the Bible says when they're old, they will not depart from it. So keep striking the ground. Don't you stop. Don't you give up. Don't you turn around. Don't stop striking the ground. Don't stop striking the ground against your battle for, against sin. Don't stop striking the ground so that you can advance God's kingdom. Don't stop striking the ground. You know why? Because the enemy is not going to stop striking against you. The world's not going to stop striking against you. The flesh isn't going to stop striking against you. So you have to keep striking and striking and striking. And some of you are going to say, but I'm tired of striking. Then strike some more. Don't stop striking the ground. See, our Savior never stopped. When they went and laid him on a cross, it says they struck nails in his hands and his feet, and they struck a spear in his side. But he never stopped loving. He never stopped forgiving. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Nothing stopped his love from being demonstrated, from his his grace being poured out, from his mercy flowing into our lives. And if you won't turn back, if you'll just keep on striking, keep on striking, keep on striking, keep on striking, God is gonna do something incredible. Heavenly Father, I come to you right now. And God, I'm asking that you would, by your Holy Spirit, stir up something inside of us. Right now, God is speaking to some of you, and what you know you need to do is you need to strike the water. You need to have that moment when you say, I know where I've been, but I want to step into what God's called me to. This is your moment. You're in that intersection of intensity, and this is your moment to strike the water. And say no more. I'm tired of shrinking back. I'm tired of holding back. I'm tired of having justification and rationale and saying that's where I was and that's all I'll ever be. Strike the water and step over in Jesus' name. And for some of you, that is the moment right now. So I want to encourage you if you know I need to strike the water today, right where you are, I'm just going to ask you to stand to your feet, just in an act of obedience, in a moment of faith. Pick up that mantle. And stand there and you say, Dear God, I don't know if this is even gonna make a difference. What if somebody looks? What if my friends see? What if my wife sees? What if my kids see? Who cares? Just stand up and say, I need this moment. I need to step from where I am into what God has called me to. And for some of you, you've grown weary, you've stopped striking, you've stopped believing, you've settled for a partial victory. But with the spirit of the living God inside of you to lead you, to guide you, who promises victory in every situation, why would you settle for a partial victory? Some of you need to start striking the ground and not stopping. Striking the ground though you're exhausted. Striking the ground even though people think you're crazy. Just keep striking. If that's you this morning, right where you are, just stand to your feet and say, I will not stop, I will not stop, I will not stop. You're telling me to stay, I don't care, I'm gonna go. You're telling me to leave, I'm gonna follow. I don't care what it costs, I will strike the ground because I want everything that God has for me. And I will not turn back. Now here's what I'm gonna invite you to do right now. Don't even wait, just make your way forward. I'm gonna pray for you, I wanna pray over you. We're gonna sing a song and celebrate God to declare who he is. Some of you just come right to the altar. I don't care if you want to punch the stage, if you want to uh, strike the floor, whatever you need to do, just make your way. Don't wait right now. Don't even wait for the worship songs to start. Just make your way right now. If you stood to your feet, this is that moment. Don't miss the moment. Now let's worship God together.